Sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Prison Pipeline. I'm Doug McVeigh. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system, addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. We seek to promote awareness and activism in order to foster a safe, healthy, and just society. Tara Hurst is a leader devoted to sustainability and to supporting people in recovery. As executive director of the Health Justice Recovery Alliance, Tara is helping lead the effort to implement Measure 110, the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act. Before starting HJRA, she was the executive director of Renew Oregon, where she successfully worked with the governor, state legislature, community groups, foundations, and businesses to pass the most ambitious climate action plan in Oregon's history. Tara is also a person in long-term recovery, and she's on the line with me now. Tara, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, before we get to the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, that also known as Measure 110, um, tell me about the Health Justice Recovery Alliance. Yeah, sure. So the Health Justice Recovery Alliance is um, a state, well, the only statewide advocacy organization um, whose work is fully focused on implementing Measure 110. Um, and we ensure that it centers the needs of the communities most harmed by the war on drugs. And here in Oregon, that's Black, Latino, uh, Indigenous, Tribal, and Native, and other communities of color. And we really are um, in ensuring that any policy decisions and changes are centered both um, to ensure that the most impacted communities by the war on drugs are um, included in those and benefit the most from any of the investments. And then the other mandate that we received from the voters was ensuring that we move from a substance use response from a criminal justice response to a healthcare response. So those are kind of the, the organization and what our values and core mission are. The loyal listeners should recall Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, Measure 110 again. I like the name, I don't know, the numbers. Anyway, anyway, it passed overwhelmingly. Voters approved in the, uh, the measure in Oregon's 2020 general election. A survey has just been released from the polling organization Data for Progress that's showing strong support among Oregonians for Measure 110. There's strong support for decriminalization, for the funding of the vital services that people in the state, including people who use drugs, need. Um uh enough of me tell me about your tell me about this poll yeah i mean we were really excited to see um basically reaffirming what we have been hearing on the ground which is that oregonians are still really proud of their vote for measure 110 they overwhelmingly bipartisanly support the um the the concept <laughs> that you know, we really should be treating substance use through a healthcare um, system and not a criminal justice system and, and recognized, as you said, how important the individual components of the law are. And the support was 
was pretty um, reaffirming and helps as you're kind of moving forward in these types of transformational laws, um, because knowing that the voters are still uh, supportive and and confident in their vote, um, you know, Oregon voters were right to pass Measure 110, and this confirms that two years later, Oregonians are happy with their vote, and I would say they should be. I was looking at some of the numbers. You've got a 22-point margin for just in terms of support. The um, the uh, let me see, 61% support for eliminating criminal penalties for drug possession, up to 91% for peer support mentoring for people who are struggling with substance use issues. I mean, that's that's. I guess the 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 measure won overwhelmingly, but these numbers. I mean, this is really quite impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I think people recognize that um, there's a lot of crisis happening in our streets um, and that if criminalization had been the right response, we wouldn't be in this um, space anymore. Right. So we are uh, incarcerating people uh, more and more people are addicted. So the war on drugs is a racist failure. Um, and Measure 110 is working to heal the harms of the war on drugs and, and most importantly, um, ensure that services are accessible and available um, to any Oregonian who's struggling, who needs that support. And, you know, really focusing on uh, community-based providers and ensuring that we have culturally specific services, we have linguistically specific services, and so when you look at the poll and you see the support for all of the different components um, of Measure 110, it, it reaffirms that voters knew exactly what they were voting on um, and, uh, and want us to keep moving forward. Now, of course, there are drug war ideologues out there, drug warriors who um, it's their, I mean, it really is their ideology and they were critics of Measure 110. They were, they've been, they'd criticize any kind of drug policy reform. That's kind of their jam. Um, they're still, you know, no surprise. They didn't, uh, they didn't suddenly do a 180 after Measure 110 was passed. They're still out there. They're still, uh, they're still attacking. Um, there are people who are trying to blame drug use, particularly these days, methamphetamine. There's a sensationalist out there who's been a hack. Anyway, they, there's a lot of people trying to blame um, all kinds of social ills on um, on 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 drug use. All whether it's whether it's unhoused people or um, or the economy or downtown troubles. They can all they they I think. I don't know, these numbers, it, it looks to me like people are getting tired of that kind of um, of that kind of uh, short-sighted um, blaming of dr- uh, that sort of short-sighted drug war mentality. What do you think? I think that the voters, you know, when you look at a broader scale, um, people recognize that homelessness is not something that is created by one particular factor. Um, but really recognize that it is a multifaceted factor and it and really includes, you know, poverty, access to uh, health care, all of the things that we need to be a healthy society. And our 
are interested in seeing laws like this move forward because it does the investments that it needs. I also think that we are, as a population, can be wanting that silver bullet, that quick fix. And, and so when it doesn't happen overnight, we're frustrated and we want a scapegoat. We want somebody to blame. And we've already seen how, you know, people had been repealing one measure 110 as, you know, by some of the candidates as a quick fix to all of these problems, right? And, and the reality is that these are on, on the rise across the country. They're not just in Oregon. The thing that's different here in Oregon is that we have a unique tool to handle this public health crisis with an actual public health response. And yeah, there's a large scale misinformation campaign that's been launched against Measure 110. Um, but, you know, I would say that I would say that the voters are still with us and they're still behind this measure and that's what's important and and it's our job as an advocacy organization to make sure that we are getting good information out to folks so that they know that 110 is not a failure so that they know that 110 is not to blame for these societal issues because ultimately those are happening across the country and in some states where not only have the drugs not been decriminalized but they have really strict drug laws. So to try and, you know, hold one without the other, it just doesn't make sense. It's, I mean, maybe similar to saying that, you know, we, we care about states' rights and then trying to pass a nationwide ban, for example. Well, exactly. And the and the other part of Measure 110, of course, is that it addresses those social ills and takes them on head on. I mean, when we're talking about um, people who are in house, we're talking about people who need mental health care, people who have um, who need physical health care, people who have some, you know, experiencing domestic violence. There are all kinds of agencies and nonprofits around the state, and many of them strapped for funds. Um, Measure 110 is actually getting money to those. Um, the uh, Now, I saw something recently. The Oversight and Accountability Council had made a move. What's happening with Measure 110 funding? Yeah, so I think this is um, more exciting even <laughs> than recognizing that voters still support this uh, measure is that the council has now approved all the funds for all 36, 36 counties. So that's 237 organizations that have, are being funded to do local community-based services um, in all of our communities. And those services can look really different depending on the community because our community needs are very different across the state. Um, and, you know, for some examples, we have uh, Northwest Instituto Latino um, received money to, they're the only organization that provides culturally and linguistically specific recovery support um, and services to the Latino community in Portland. And they're gonna be able to expand their capacity to serve up to 30 new clients a month, a month. Um, and then expand services to Washington County for the first time. So. You know, we also have the Miracles Club, um, which is an African-American uh, recovery center um, that's, you know, located in, in Portland. And they were able to, they're going to be able to create 18 new transitional housing beds. Um, and 
and <laughs> create the first transitional house for African-American women in recovery. So that's another example of kind of how these how these funds are being placed across the across the state. And there's been some really incredible stories out there in Clatsop County, you know, kind of how they're going to be able to provide um, medication assisted treatment for folks coming out of jail. Um, in Eastern Oregon, you know, making sure that people have access to services that they've never had before. And what this means for, for Oregonians, for our community, what we can anticipate is that you have more people out there doing outreach to our houseless population and to others who, who are in crisis to say, hey, um, I was there once, right? That's what a peer is. I was there. And I'm now working for Miracles Club. I can help you. Do you, you know, do you want a safe place to sleep tonight? Is there something that I can do to meet your needs? Um, whether it's a meal, whether it's parenting classes, where it's parenting support so that you can keep your kids because parenting is stressful enough, try it in early recovery. Um, all safe housing, it's hard to stay you know, a substance free when you're going back and sleeping on the street. So it's not, you know, it, it's all of these types of services that creates um, a system of care that really treats the whole person and not just one piece of it. And so when you think of $265 million, which is a lot of money to all, to all of us, I think it's fair to say, um, going into our communities, and that's five times more than what we've spent on non-Medicaid um, services like this, it is going to have a profound impact. It's not going to happen overnight. These organizations have to get to hire staff, and those staff are generally people who have lived experience. So you're, you're, not only, you're contributing to an economy. Um, they have to buy the housing some of them already have leases set up and ready to go so that that housing can be kind of turnkey. Uh, Bridges to Change is, is, you know, expanding in four counties and we'll have 200 and, you know, a little over 200 supportive and low barrier housing beds. Um, and they're hiring 67 new staff. That's a big new operation. Um, it will take time, but it's also, they're also supporting and, and helping people today and have been ever since they got their access to care grant funding. So the, the measure decriminalizes um, people who are caught with small amounts of drugs. This is, you know, a user amount of drugs, not massive quantities. And, um, and those folks no longer have barriers on their record that prevent them from getting housing and jobs and bank accounts and student loans. And so you know, when we say that we want to support people and they need to be punished in order for them to get health care, A, we didn't have a system that actually the punishment created health care only for a select few. And, and usually there was a lot more criminal charges that were added to that. What Measure 110 does is says, if all you, you know, if it's a small amount of drugs, let's make sure that we're building services and we're creating the space for people who, when they're ready for support, when they're ready for help, we will have it. And we won't do this cookie cutter, one size fits all treatment. You know, for me, a 90 day treatment was effective, but you know, that's not the case for everybody. 
And for some people, just getting somebody stabilized, housing, and then outpatient is going gonna, is gonna to get them on the path to a long-term recovery. And recovery means something different to everyone. And that shouldn't be dictated by, you know, one center has abstinence only. We have a lot of folks who get kicked out for, you know, maybe relapsing. And, and so there's more housing now that will just say, you can stay, let's come up with a plan, let's figure this out. So again, that one size fits all doesn't work for pretty much anything. <laughs> um, and the good news is, is you have 240 organizations that were willing to step up and say, we provide this, you know, continuum of care. We just don't have the resources. So if you give us the resources, we can support the community. Um, and now it's our job and what HJRA is working on is supporting those providers and making sure they have access to technical assistance and, and infrastructure assistance and all of those pieces that a lot of our mainstream organizations just have um, that a lot of folks don't have access to. So really trying to build a strong foundation and make sure that um, as 110 is implemented, we're supporting everyone in the community. Um, and that includes trying to figure out, you know, how do we make sure that law enforcement understands that there's all these new resources, how do they connect those resources to people that they see in crisis? It doesn't have to be with a citation, it doesn't have to be with an arrest. It can be with a handoff to an outreach worker, a peer support, a mentor. That has better outcomes for everybody. This is a conversation with Tara Hurst, Executive Director of the Health Justice Recovery Alliance. We'll have more in a moment. You're listening to Prison Pipeline. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Could you talk for just a second about harm reduction and recovery? They, they, mm -hmm. they, they go together. 100%. Um, they should. I guess, you know, I'm coming into this this part of the world late. I got into recovery early and, and that was a personal journey. I'm just starting to um, learn over the last two years much more about kind of the the principles behind harm reduction and and um, there's a continuum between harm reduction and recovery and it's it it's fluid and not everybody wants to get into recovery um, and so I think that that's really important. Um, you can't get into recovery, this sounds really awful, if you're dead. And what harm reduction does is keeps people from dying um, and it keeps them safe. Um, and so I think that it's really important to lift up and continually to educate folks on harm reduction because otherwise, you know, what we're going to do is continue to stigmatize people who are using and not give them the tools they need to be um, safe and, and to, to stay alive. And it can be more than just staying alive, right? It is a, a principle and, um, and a practice. And so it means different things to many different people. And I'm, I was a little bit I, I recognize that there was a time when, and there probably is in a lot of other spaces, I think Oregon, we're really lucky to have some incredible harm reductionists who have done a lot of uh, advocacy and lobbying to change our laws and to make sure that there is more accessibility, but there was, there's a big fraction between um, harm reductionists and, and kind of this, these people in recovery because recovery was kind of the purest, right? Everybody must want to get substance free. 
that's not true. That's not how, and just, you know, as we've talked about services before, everything, different people need different things and we need to celebrate that. And I, I agree. I think any positive change, people have asked me because I got sober young, if I think I could have a glass of wine with dinner and maybe, but I also, you know, know what happened to me when I drank and who I was. And, you know, I was, had extreme suicidal ideations when I was drinking at the end. And I don't, there's no reason for me to go back to that. I live a happy life. I get to be in my son's life, right. And get to be his sole provider because, you know, his, uh, his father is struggling still with substance use. So I think that there's plenty in the world to be grateful for. And when you're, when you're looking for it and something that both I think harm reduction and recovery offers is gratitude. It's, it's that light of hope. It's that next step. And it's also, you know, for me, harm reduction is really about saying you're welcome here and you matter and you deserve to be alive. And sometimes that sounds so simple to people who haven't had substance use or, or the, what we're medicating for medicating with substances to treat is just those simple phrases and feeling like I'm, I'm not a bad person. I don't have a moral failing and people want to see me alive. People want to see me thrive. Uh, that's huge. And so I think we as a society have been taught that drug use is a moral failing and that it's bad and therefore people who use it are criminals and bad. And that's just such a short-sighted um, way of viewing anything. Um, and, it's, and it's benefited the prison industrial complex. It's benefited a lot of complexes, right? And, and ultimately it's harmed so many communities. So the more we can have an open mind and create space for everyone and create the interventions that work for everyone, um, the better our folks are gonna be in just kind of maneuvering through life. Um, uh, yeah, how do people follow and support the work that you're doing at website, social media, that sort of thing? And is there any question that I should have asked which I have not yet, which I should have read written down here, but for some reason, oh, I know what I did. So you can uh, visit us on healthjusticerecovery.org. Um, and really get all the information on there. It has links to our social, um, you know, Twitter's at HJRA Oregon. Um, but go on the website. It will take you to all the different spots. Um, it also shows folks who are community-based uh, providers who are Measure 110-based providers uh, when our next technical assistance workshop will be um, and how to, you know, sign up for that and sign up for technical assistance. Um, and yeah, just make sure your voices are heard um, over the election for Measure 110, and then join us in Salem as we make sure that we, you know, maybe we could even strengthen the law, let alone just keep it intact. And once again, folks, we're speaking with Tara Hurst, the Executive Director of the Health Justice Recovery Alliance. Um, any closing thoughts for our listeners? Um, I just... You know, I think your listeners are smart enough to not um, fall for the uh, 
misinformation campaigns that are out there, but I think it's just an important reminder that a big change like this really does take time to implement. You want us to take time to implement this. This is a lot of money. This is a really important thing happening for people that is going to um, you know, be transformational for our communities. And we, there's always bumps in the road and we're on track and, and we're really making positive changes. So again, I would just like to thank Oregon voters. You were right to pass measure 110. Um, and this new independent polling shows that two years later, you're still right. So let's keep moving forward and, um, you know, creating laws that support our communities and, and make us uh, happier and healthier. Hey, you know, I just remembered there was one question. There was one thing I wanted to um, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned now the the 230 plus million dollars that just went out. That's just been approved and sent out. This is it, it. This is all tied to the state budget cycles, which and that's an every two year thing. So that's just the first of these funding cycles. Right. The plan is that this continues. And so yeah. two more years. There's another, however much, two hundred and some million dollars going out to these agencies and nonprofit these these service providers. Yeah, absolutely. It actually it's marijuana revenue, and that comes in every quarter, and then you know it gets split up from the first ninety million dollars that happens every two years that is already allocated to certain, you know, uh, cities, counties, state police, and then the rest of the funds goes to the drug treatment recovery fund, and those funds are ongoing and continuous. Our hope is that the legislature and OHA can find a way to make sure that these grants can be longer term so that people can really make the investments in the people and in the infrastructures that they need to really serve community um, in a really sustainable and stable way. So um, yes, the money is ongoing and that's so important. What we hear from our providers a lot is People want us to stand up these really expensive programs. Detox programs are really expensive. It costs a lot to create a detox center and to staff a detox center. And you can't do that if you don't know that you're going to have stable funding. Um, And that's the stuff that people don't necessarily think through when they're clamoring for a specific service. If we're not willing to give providers the on-ramp to set these things up and then say, not only are we asking you to set this up, but we're also going to provide you with the funds to be able to keep it going. Um, then we're never going to get a system of care that's actually going to meet the community needs. So we really need to give this some time, give it space and, and allow these funds to continually flow into these organizations as they are, are building up. That was my conversation with Tara Hurst, Executive Director of the Health Justice Recovery Alliance. Find them on the web at healthjusticerecovery.org. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Prison Pipeline. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Many thanks to my guest, Tara Hurst. And thanks especially to you, dear listener, for your support. You make all this possible. Find this and other installments of Prison Pipeline on the web at kboo.fm slash prison pipeline. You'll also find a link there to subscribe to the Prison Pipeline podcast. Prison Pipeline has a Facebook page. It's at facebook.com slash prison pipeline. Please give its page a like and share it with friends. Join us again next week for another edition of Prison Pipeline. For now, this is Doug McVeigh saying so long. Sometimes so long. I find myself alone regretting 
some little foolish thing Some simple thing that I've done Though just a soul I try so hard, so please go.